0: everyone and welcome to or something this is the podcast where we cover an origin story each week um or something i'm kristen and this is carla hi happy new year happy new year we're back 2022
1: 2022 this is a big year for me is it yeah i'm gonna turn 40 this year oh yeah me too and and... I'll tell you what I do. What I'll do <laughs> on my fortieth <40th> birthday. <laughs> do you after know after what... my topic? Oh, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> oh, now I'm really interested. I keep thinking I have to do something good for my fortieth birthday, but it's like I really want to travel somewhere, but then it's like yeah, just I know. crazy COVID, and we just got stuck in Mexico for an extra <laughs> week because we got COVID and had to quarantine there, which was fine, but also not fine.
1: And to any listeners who are scoffing because she was traveling, Uh, Kristen's double vaxxed, right? Yeah, I'm double vaxxed. And she's very responsible, very respectful to the staff and everything there and followed all the rules. And she took, she was ready for all the like consequences and stuff. And so, right, you're responsible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm proud. I mean, I definitely are not responsible when they travel. Like I know uh, some people who just flat out, like walk out of quarantine or just don't care. Don't get vaccinated. I'm like, it's not that hard. Just (laughs) there were people on
0: our resort that were getting like police escorted off the property because (laughs) people had ratted them out for (laughs) breaking the rules. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's impressive. Well, we so we um, I'm glad they care, though. Wow. Yeah, like the to a degree, people. I think it's oh. that when other people complained, I don't think that. Well, <laughs> I don't know. It was a little bit weird where, like, when we tested positive, we went to tell like our our representative from the travel place that we used. I won't use their names, but whatever. Um, Then I was like, yeah, we tested positive. Like, what's the protocol? Because we're supposed to get on a flight in like two days. So what's the deal? And he was like, he wouldn't even say anything to me. He's like, go to your room right now. Go to your room. And I was like, yeah, like, obviously, I get that. But can you tell me like do I need to call like can you just cancel my flight like how does this work he's like go to go to your room I'll call you in an hour he never called me we could not get a hold of them like the hotel was fantastic but the travel operator whatever they're called they were awful I've used them and they were also awful with (laughs) me yeah Yeah, I don't (laughs) think I'll be very quick to use them again that's for sure but yeah all things considered it was
1: all good okay honestly I complained directly to the manager of this grocery store where they just could care less about the mask bylaw yeah and uh and yes it was a bylaw here but um and he did nothing absolutely nothing it was like so annoying so I'm like (laughs) having them actually react at all to like people there on the resort I'm like that would be like a wonderful treat for me. <laughs> that's true.
0: I know, but it would have been nice to have like that reaction with a little bit of information. <laughs> like,
1: here's what you do now.
0: <laughs> no, I like go to
1: your room. That that's, would have been that's nice. Good.
0: Yeah, go to your like room. I'm being scolded by my dad. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and then we had for that week of quarantine, we we had the biggest group of partiers that were like oh. right across the little hallway, like we shared, like our doors were right across from each other. And I wanted to quarantine hallway, literally (laughs) kill them. And all I wanted to do was like open. And they kept coming to our door like the wrong way, and like like thinking that it was their friend's door or whatever. And so one time they were like, "It's eight o'clock. How come you guys are an out party?" Like they were so drunk, just like sloppy drunk.
1: And I wanted to
0: just like like do a joke, like cough all over them, and be like, "Oh, sorry, we're in quarantine." I didn't because I'm responsible, but the (laughs) mean girl part of me wanted to really be like, listen.
1: (laughs) oh, Honestly, I'm kind of jealous that you had it. Like, I know it's a terrible thing to say. Like, my own grandmother died of COVID, but like, Mm. I kind of wish I could get it because I feel like that would be the ultimate, like the better immunity because I had my two vaccines and a booster shot and I still feel like maybe you know i mean i wouldn't want to get sick just without a vaccin- vaccine vaccine yeah. that's not what yeah. i'm saying i would want to get it after i'm like vaccine vaccinated right? yeah
0: well i think now with but... omicron like i keep seeing all these memes everywhere where it's like if you haven't had it yet it's almost this like what it, how Like, how do you not have it kind of yeah. because everybody here is has getting it, it. Yeah. like
1: it's spreading like wildfire like, but that. You know, with the herd immunity thing and stuff, I kind of like yeah. want people to get it. Like maybe that'll help the situation. Well, and this honestly, point.
0: for us, it right. was very much like a really, really, really mild flu. So I realize how lucky we were because not everybody probably ha- will have that reaction. But yeah, yeah, for us, it was very mild, which was fantastic. Yeah. But it was really odd. Like we were there with eleven people, and yeah. three of us tested positive, and we were around each other the entire like two weeks. Yeah. Like, my yeah. brother tested positive, and his wife and two
1: girls didn't test positive, and they shared a f-
0: room the entire time. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, see, I was going to say, like, if you're not sharing a room, then it's, like, yeah, it makes more sense, because you're out in the open more, right? Yeah. Everything's very open, but, huh. That's yeah, interesting. it was crazy.
0: But, yeah, I mean, yeah. it is what it is, and we'll see how it all unfolds going forward, and oh. hopefully for my birthday, I can travel somewhere. Maybe just even yeah. in BC would be fine.
1: Go Love to the mountain plans. Nancy? Maybe
0: you'll be on board with me. <laughs> I'm I'm there for it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's celebrate it. Right. All right. Okay. Who's first this week? I have no idea. I'm so excited to be back doing this.
1: Me I really too. missed it. I missed it I last know. week. Me too. I didn't miss the research. So I didn't miss the research. The or something so title <laughs> will really, really, really make sense to our <laughs> listeners. Is it the origin story of stuff? I don't know. Is it going to be research (laughs) and facts? I don't think so. (laughs) Excellent. Our listeners will. It'll be evolving. The show will evolve. It is funny how this. It is
0: funny how this week both of us, like you, texted me yesterday (laughs) saying like this is super painful, and I seriously, like, forced myself to sit at my laptop yesterday and be like, you need to do this. I couldn't focus
1: at all. I know. Like, I my topic though is probably it was so. It's so fascinating. I'm yeah. obsessed with it now. I okay. was watching Ooh. documentaries and like all this. Like I am, compl- I have a bunch of books in the library now, like on hold. Oh my gosh. I'm like obsessed.
0: No way.
1: And I feel very strongly about it and everything. And I still couldn't. I struggled to but concentrate. It's a... I'm like, yeah. What did I do at Christmas that my brain is melted?
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> like I had the same thing where I'm like, this is super interesting, and I actually like delved into all these different like offshoots <laughs> of it. But I was like, I don't want to write this into any kind of thing. Like, I don't want to have to formulate it into something that I'm going to okay. talk We're about. It's okay. We're allowed to
1: evolve. It's 2022. The <coughs> new show can year, be new whatever. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we flip a coin?
0: Oh, are we going to start fresh?
1: Yeah, let's start Who goes first? Okay. Yeah. I don't have so a coin. I don't either. I'm going to throw this Kleenex box. No, I need that Kleenex box. Here, I'm going to flip... <coughs> Oh, I'm gonna flip this little like cable thing. Okay. And if the plug-in end is facing me, right? Okay. It'll be it'll be me. Okay. okay. Ready? So I'm I can't see this. What's happening? By the way, uh, so she can make a little... up whatever she wants. No, I swear. Oh yeah, I guess yeah. I could. Like
0: how it flips. No, I'm honest. You know me. She's showing it to me now. I get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I flipped it over. <laughs> Pointing downwards. So nobody goes, okay, nobody podcast goes. over. <laughs> okay, I'll try again. This time, like that. Okay, there.
0: Oh, it's chasing you. Son of a. Okay.
1: <laughs> Damn, I was all like ready for you to go
0: first. Okay. okay. Uh, I can if you want. But... Oh, no, it doesn't matter. I'm all good. <laughs> Okay, so this was a topic that I had learned about before the Christmas break, and I really wanted to do it. But then I got on the whole, like, christmas theme thing or whatever. (laughs) Um, And this is not Christmas-themed. But I heard about it because people... I saw something somewhere where people were like, Did you know this crazy origin of (laughs) this thing that we all love that is, like, part of most people's day-to-day... Like the way they start the day started okay. because the guy was a crackpot and didn't like that people were masturbating. What? <laughs> so I am doing the origin of Kellogg's cornflakes. <laughs> Your face just now <laughs> <was laughs> classic. <laughs> okay, so you think cornflakes, they're breakfast cereal. <laughs> it's like, you know, whatever. They've just always been around. They must yeah. be normal. And it's so just part cereal. of a balanced breakfast is cereal. Yeah. Okay. So the modern commercial concept of cereal food originated in the vegetarian beliefs of the American Seventh-day Adventist Church. What? So in the 1860s, they formed something called the Western Health Reform Institute, which was later renamed the Battle Creek Sanitarium in <laughs> Battle Creek, Michigan. And it Wait. became...
1: Maybe it's because we're recording earlier than usual My brain, okay <laughs> You went from an Advent, Adventist thing Yep To a sanitarium So
0: a sanitarium, here's what I thought Are you thinking okay. that it's a place for crazy people? Yes, yes yeah. That's exactly what I thought Because I was like, what? This is crazy <laughs> yeah, yeah, This is awesome But a sanitarium is just a place for um, uh, people who are sick That need a place to get better So most they were they were created kind of the big thing that they were used for was people when they had tuberculosis, TB, that they would put them all in there. So this actually the way that this place worked was not necessarily that people had to be like super sick to go there with any specific disease. It became much more kind of like a spa retreat type thing. (laughs) I know, because when I was reading it, I was like, huh? Because at some point later, I'll give you like a fact that's really cool, but it's like one of the patients there did something, and I was like, they let the crazy people do stuff? (laughs) And then I had to look up like, wait a second, am I actually understanding this correctly? (laughs) And I was not.
1: (laughs) All that research? Oh my god. I know.
0: (laughs) So this, the Battle Creek Sanitarium, became America's most popular medical spa of the early 20th century. (laughs) It was big. So the guy who um, ended up running the Battle Creek Sanitarium, his name was John Harvey Kellogg. And he was alive from 1852 to
1: 1943.
0: Okay. He was a doctor, a nutritionist, and a really, like, devout Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. So I kind of looked up, like I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole looking up the Seventh Day Adventists because I actually have met some before oh. and I had no idea what the hell that religion <laughs> is based on at all. So it was yeah. interesting to me to learn that like they're really, um they're all vegetarians and it's like yeah. really much promoting this like healthy lifestyle.
1: Oh they gosh. really believe,
0: um like they're very much against like um anything crazy, crazy sexual stuff, like right. masturbation they're against, like all yeah. that kind of stuff.
1: It's so like um, a purity sort of thing. Ve- yeah,
0: like- they're very much, but it's from, uh, it's almost from the standpoint of you'll be healthier <laughs> if you're more pure, like sexually right. pure and all those and kinds of lies things. And all that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the seventh, there was an Adventist um, church before the Seventh Day Adventist people kind of branched off right and the woman i think i talk about her later she was the one who kind of created the seventh day adventist and the most of the stuff that like that um she like preached in the church was m- based on these like prophecies that she had and like oh, stuff that okay. she said yeah so whatever the classic yeah like a lot of their stuff was like great but then a lot of their stuff was crazy just Mm. like any religion where it's like oh yeah love everybody that's great but maybe don't like bomb a bunch of people or whatever I don't know so (laughs) that's my rundown of religion (laughs) okay so John Harvey Kellogg he ran the Battle Creek Sanitarium with a focus on nutrition and exercise and this guy is like he has done a ton of really cool like amazing innovative like awesome stuff but he did a ton of seriously crazy like nut job kind of stuff like he was like yeah and (laughs) i think it can be expressed perfectly that he typically dressed in a white suit and white shoes and often had a white cockatoo perched on his shoulder so he's basically just like some (gasps) villain in like some kind oh, of I know how to reinvent myself for 2022. <laughs> That's, That's what you what want, I want for your 40th be. birthday. Y- yeah. Oh my god, we need to have a
1: Kellogg party for our yes. birthday.
0: Yes. <laughs> Let's do a joint 40th oh my birthday gosh. party.
1: <laughs> well, let me hear the crazy stuff he did first cuz if it's highly <laughs> racist or dubious then it is. maybe not. Oh, okay,
0: I take <laughs> you <it back. laughs> hit the nail right on the head. Um, so he did a whole bunch of things. He helped found the American Medical Missionary College. Like he was very like he did a lot of stuff. And even though he was a really really um, like he was an actual doctor that got an actual medical degree, mm-hmm. most of the stuff that he uh, really like taught the way he practiced medicine was very much based on his religious beliefs with the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Okay, which is important—an important kind of distinction. So he right. did know what he was doing. He wasn't a total crackpot, right? But the, but the stuff that was. drove his medical practice was coming from the church rather than from his medical
1: like okay. learnings. Yeah. <clears throat> mm. So
0: he believed in nutrition. He believed in all of this other stuff. He whatever, all this like get exercise, drink lots of water—all things that we are are like we know them now (laughs) at that time they didn't know them and so he was very different there those are all good things but he also (laughs) believed that eugenics would help save the race and Uh... he was a strong proponent of racial segregation Uh... yeah he and his wife ella also believed that environment could overcome some hereditary tendencies like to a certain degree Which is why they ended up fostering 42 children of various races, and they were often termed undesirable, like of the undesirable races. And They were hoping to what with them? I don't know. Part of it was that they, I think that they were, they were trying to prove that if you, even if you were like undesirable, if you could be healthy and like live this healthy Mm -hmm. lifestyle, that you wouldn't be as bad.
1: (laughs) Oh my
0: god. Um, in 1906, he was a founding member of the Race Betterment Foundation. Ugh. Yeah. Through this foundation, he hoped that so-called well-born people would be instructed on how to maintain their heritage and pass it on to the next generation. Good God. He even proposed creating a eugenic registry that could be used to create a pedigree of proper breeding between people. No. He even, like, he, and he had this whole plan of, like, that he basically would give people points on, like, how well-born they were, like, of their, like, oh, level lord. of pedigree. It's and they could, Malfoy. They could win prizes <laughs> and stuff, basically. The purebloods. Oh, good it's, That's, lord. exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. So he saw himself as a health reformer fighting to improve body, <laughs> mind, and soul through a program that he called Biologic Living. Oh, lord. He advocated for exercise and abstaining from alcohol and tobacco, and he actively campa- campaigned against masturbation, which he <laughs> believed could lead to a collapse of physical health. He, this is a, this is probably why they fostered so many kids, because he, um, it was well known that he was celibate for his entire 40-year marriage to his wife. Oh. I don't, but I don't get how, like, He's encouraging people to procreate, well-born people to procreate. I don't know. There's a lot of conflicting information out there about like what he believed in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He strongly believed that nutrition could be used to treat many medical conditions and was himself a vegetarian. And so he introduced a, a whole bunch of healthy foods to his patients in the sanitarium. He developed numerous nut and vegetable products to vary the diet of the patients, including a flaked wheat cereal called Grano's, and then eventually Corn Flakes. So, Damn. a big part of this whole, like, celibacy and going against masturbation and whatever was they really believed, the Seventh-day Adventists really believed that bland food... Um, like helped to keep the sexual (laughs) desires down low (laughs) so that was like something that they tried to do because before this time at this time like people were eating these really big elaborate breakfasts that were like full of meats and cheeses and like all this like really heavy heavy gallons of butter yeah exactly So having, like, cornflakes or, like, this other wheat cereal or whatever for breakfast was very, very different from what they were used to, this really rich diet. Right. Um, So proper diet, regular exercise, correct posture, fresh air, rest, (laughs) and avoidance of unnatural sexual practices formed the Battle Creek idea. (laughs) or any
1: according to him
0: (laughs) yeah so it's interesting because most of the stuff that he talked about is like stuff that we do now where it's like eat healthy and don't have as much meat and like exercise and fresh air and all this kind of stuff so like most of it's fine yeah um but a lot of stuff uh like some of the he came up with all these crazy um Like, he experimented a lot. Like, basically, if you paid to go to the sanitarium, you basically were giving him permission to just do whatever he wanted to try on you. Right. Like, if you had a certain ailment, he would just experiment with any kind of treatment. He wouldn't necessarily do (laughs) the treatment that he had learned in, like, medical school would work. He would just try anything, and then he would just create his own things. Oh, Lord. And do them. And people, like, paid big money for him to do this stuff. Yikes. Like he, one of the things that he did was um, he said that chewing your food a lot, like you had to chew your food 40 times before swallowing, yeah. which I've heard from other people. That's yeah, still a healthy thing now, whatever. it's actually program yeah. that they have, yeah. So he would do that, and then he, I guess when they were all eating in the dining room, he would like start this song and make everybody kind of sing along to it. It's like the chewing song, oh, no. <laughs> and it basically was just like choo 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 that's the thing to do i don't know <laughs> he
1: did I how him. many people like just broke out into rages at his i facility. know right <laughs> yeah whatever
0: they were all like trying to be like in in crowd it yeah, ended up being true. a place that a lot of like famous people ended up going um, to <clears> yeah. so it's one of those places Um, So under the supervision of Dr. (laughs) Kellogg and his brother, William, who also worked at the like underneath him at the sanitarium. So John Kellogg, Dr. John Kellogg ran the sanitarium and William Kellogg worked for him in the sanitarium. Okay. Um, So... So under their supervision, the sanitarium grew from the church's small, like, health reform institute into a national holistic wellness destination. Mm. It was a combination of a medical center, spa, and a grand hotel. (laughs) He also lectured, wrote books, and edited a magazine. Obviously, he also was part of all these eugenics and racial segregation things as well. Um, So he was doing a lot, and he was a part of a lot, and he was a very much uh, well-respected like yeah leader in society um, he also basically became a celebrity doctor whose admirers and patients <laughs> included several US presidents Thomas Edison Henry Ford Amelia Earhart hey and presidents like, again a whole bunch of other people I know <laughs> <laughs> so a little alarming that like uh. he's the one that's the celebrity doctor but whatever <laughs> um, he seemed willing to try anything to cure his patients. Um, ailments and he experimented with countless treatments and invented dozens of his own treatments. So he was a big fan. He did a lot of, um, like he, he did this like light therapy thing. So he realized that people like needed to spend a certain amount of time in, in lightness, like oh, okay. in yeah, actual light. Like and I'm those... like, okay, I kind of get that a little bit.
1: Kind of like the seasonal affective disorder
0: thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but then he would do basically where like he would like bathe them, like do light baths where oh. you just are like in this extreme light for like a long amount of time, and
1: oh. I don't know. Yeah, things got weird. At it, the it got sanitarium. weird. Like <laughs> he had
0: like a lot of really good ideas where I'm like, oh, we actually follow that now, and we actually that yeah. is right. That's not totally wrong. Mm-hmm. But he took it to a real like a real extreme level. The experimental
1: side of things. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Um, okay. So now getting to cornflakes.
1: <laughs> I don't want to. I'm furious because it's, my favorite cereal is Raisin Bran, which is Kellogg's. It is, yeah. And now I, just from what you said, just that, I don't ever <laughs> want to touch Kellogg's ever again.
0: But his brother's better, and his brother is the one that ends up like really oh, good. I was hoping, doing it for okay. the masses. So you're okay. You're still okay. okay. You can enjoy it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so around 1877. Dr. Kellogg concocted a twice-baked mixture of flour, oats, and cornmeal. He mm. began smashing it into small pieces for serving um, to serving to the patients after a patient broke her tooth on a biscuit version. <laughs> so that's the only reason that it ended up becoming like a smaller
1: thing. It's like vector cereal. Have you ever had that cereal? Oh, that stuff is awful. I, I hate that. I almost broke my teeth, I think, twice with it's that cereal. It's brutal. And I just had the one box I had to finish. I'm like... yeah. My teeth are breaking. Anyway.
0: I think my mom would buy it for like, she went on a kick of buying it. I don't know if it was like on sale or something like that. But I remember that. And every time I tried it, I was like, maybe it's better now. No, it's not. And this, the milk would never like make it mushy enough. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So we totally can relate to this woman who broke her tooth. (laughs) So he believed that by baking the whole grains at high temperatures, um, it was a process he called dextrinization. They became more easily digestible and therefore healthier. Hmm. So at some point too, he he, um, he like he uh, looked at like footage or whatever of like gorillas. And, and what they did and they had bowel movements like four to five times a day. yeah and so he was like, we need to be healthier and do that <laughs> so he like he was really focused on so digestion and like he's
1: taking his cue from gorillas, but like, he is he's all into eugenics exactly. <laughs> like, I, I oh, know you can't be inspired by gorillas. <laughs>
0: None of it makes sense. Like if you had to sit down and be like, Okay, so do you believe that we're all inherently like you're either well born or you're not, but then how does environment come into it, you dumbass? Yeah. And like and then you're gonna look to gorillas for uh Yeah. Like aren't we already And like the Seventh day Adventists were very much like the second coming of Jesus, like Jesus is coming again and it's gonna be the end of the world and that's how the Seventh day Adventists So you better eat your corn and be healthy. Yeah. The Seventh day Adventists, um she The woman who started it she had followed like the Adventist church and they said that the end of the world was going to be some date in like 1844 oh and when that didn't happen a lot of people stopped following this guy I think his name was Miller (laughs) they stopped following him and she's like nah it's okay I'll stick with him a little bit and then she ended up starting her own church eventually and like has whatever I don't know (laughs) it's all crazy I would apologize to any Seventh day Adventists that are listening, but I actually don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so it's hard to tell the exact origins of the Kellogg's cornflakes because there was a ton of infighting between the Kellogg brothers as well as oh. John's wife, Ella. Oh. So, and it ends up going to court and becoming a big thing that both Will and Ella. They worked in the kitchen with John, as well as some other family members and sanitarium employees. Mm -hmm. They all lay claim to the invention, and they all have differing versions of the origin story. Well-bred people, right? Exactly, Mm. because they're all like, "No, it's mine. No, I started this. Actually, I did this." So it was like, it's hard to tell what the true story is because you can see, you can go back and you can see like there's five different stories that are like written down in history that they insist is the truth. It just depends on who you listen to. Yeah. So according to the Kellogg's Company history, which is on their website now, and now keep Mm -hmm. in mind that Will, like I'll tell you in a bit, but Will is the one that ends up creating the Kellogg's Company, not John.
1: Right. So this is his
0: story, right. this is his history. So it was the, he says that cornflakes were invented one night in 1898 when a batch of wheat-based cereal dough was accidentally left out for an extended period of time, causing it to ferment. When they rolled it out into thin sheets, the slightly moldy dough produced perfect large thin flakes that became crispy and tasty in the oven. Over the next several years. William Kellogg kept experimenting with the recipe and figured out that corn, rather than wheat, produced even crunchier, crispier flakes. So, some of the varying things, like, I think most of them agree that it started when there was dough, wheat dough that was left out overnight. Really? Yeah.
1: That's the one part I was going to be like, that doesn't make sense.
0: I know. You're rolling out moldy dough? I guess. i know well and they were i love that they yeah that they were rolling it out and just gonna feed it to people anyway (laughs) i know like okay yeah um but so the the things that are different are like who actually like discovered the flaking like how it flaked and the way they rolled it and they actually ended up Mm. inventing these specific rollers that could roll stuff out um to make that flakiness and all this kind of yeah. stuff. Um so some so John and Ella say that they they were the ones that discovered it and then they tasked Will William with um like over the next years of like like being able to recreate it. Right. In a way, but William's like, no, I was involved in all like I was involved it, in yeah. the beginning of whatever. It time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Um, so in 1898, John and William founded the Battle Creek Sanitarium Health Food Company to handle the production of cornflakes and other food that they were making for the sanitarium patients. Um, so now, in case we didn't realize this yet, um, John was kind of a dick. Like, he was a, a bit of a... Like, I think he was very he was arrogant really and kind full of himself. he was a gentleman. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, he treated his brother pretty poorly and really enjoyed humiliating him. There's oh. one story that um, William was forced to take dictation while John was, like, sitting on the toilet, basically. Oh. So just stupid, like, stuff like yeah. that where you're like, oh, that's not necessary, right? Like, right. Um, so eventually William had had enough, and he ended up buying the rights to the flake cereal recipe, and he struck out on his own. Oh. so he bought the rights to it and he's like see ya a big thing was john was like really focused just on doing stuff for the sanitarium and kind of like doing his own thing and william was like i actually think we should make this for the masses like Mm -hmm. we should strike out outside of the sanitarium and make it for the public and john didn't agree with that so william kind of went and did his own thing why would he sell
1: that's interesting
0: I don't know and that's where like there's Mm. he did sell it and he like it it wasn't there was never the argument that
1: William had stolen it there that was never an argument oh yeah I'm not suggesting that I just think if he was against it why would he sell it right I know John I mean
0: because he's an idiot
1: I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say so William formed his
0: own cereal company. It was called the Battle Creek Toasted Corn Flake Company. Mm-hmm. And this is the company that later became the Kellogg Company. Which you is know, Kellogg's now.
1: It's probably the fact that I was vegetarian for quite a while and or something or I don't know. Or I just appreciate really simple food. But like the fact that like you just sang cornflake or like yeah. corn bits or like Oh, at the beginning! How you said it was like crushed oats and corn. Yeah, like my mouth is watering. <laughs> like I want corn I know when I was reading this, I'm like, I
0: just really want a big bowl of cereal. There's nothing better. I, I never know. get cereal anymore though. That's oh, crazy. I'm on
1: cereal kick like crazy because Costco has like just giant mini wheats boxes, and I'm just like oh,
0: mini wheats. I did when I was in Mexico. I on our like last. Morning, there I had a bowl of Fruit Loops because I could see that the thing that the Fruit Loops that they were putting into I just assumed that they were fake, but I saw them actually <laughs> open a Fruit Loops box and put it into the thing. I was like, Those so are real genuine. Fruit Loops! Oh, it was so good! <laughs> yeah, um, so he added malt, sugar, and salt to the recipe and began malt. manufacturing it in mass quantities, and then he ended okay. up putting much of his profits into advertising. Which oh. is a big thing of why
1: did he breakfast use the cereals... byproducts to make dog biscuits? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Probably.
1: <laughs> call back, call back.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that like um, uh, the advertising side of it again is like a big yeah. reason why breakfast cereals became big because they started putting little like they, they targeted kids. Yeah. And they start and they targeted the health food things that they were they said it was so healthy yeah so like a guy i'm gonna talk about later and shelf stable right exactly and easy quick efficient all this stuff yeah and this guy later that i'll talk about he said that his (laughs) cereal a different cereal than this actually um would be the cure to like um uh Smallpox and malaria. <laughs> and they're like, okay, that's taking
1: it a bit far. <laughs> all malaria. <laughs> okay. You're just eating your Froot Loops in the jungle. safe. In- in- exactly. It'll be fine.
0: <laughs> so by 1909, Williams Company was churning out 120,000 cases of cornflakes a day. Whoa. And in the Sorry, meantime, what? 1926? 1909.
1: 1909? How the yeah. hell did you they- my god they didn't yeah. have factories okay they did but like i know right <laughs> <laughs> but not really like it wasn't
0: super like i guess it was industrialized well, but industrial, like not yeah.
1: to that oh my god. crazy
0: degree i don't know That's, but yeah whoa so john kellogg dr john kellogg was getting super <laughs> resentful of his brother's success Ooh. and he fought him for the rights to use the family name so he wasn't fighting to get the cornflakes thing back, just he was fighting that he couldn't use the uh, family name, because he had sold the thing to him, like, he bought it fair and square kind of yeah. thing, right? But that's So the resulting too. legal battle finally ended in 1920, and William won. Good. And he largely won, because by that point, the Kellogg's, like, the cereal was so popular, people already knew it as Kellogg's, like, right. there would be no point to yeah. changing any of it now, right? Yeah. So before these breakfast cereals came along, people usually ate porridge or leftovers from the night before, right. um, and at some point in the 1800s, it became really popular to like have large elaborate breakfast meals that had tons of meat and stuff. Um, once industrialization came along, people had less time to make big elaborate meals, and they weren't as active as they once were, because some people were going right. to like work in offices instead of going to be a right. farmer or would, like, yeah. do manual labor. Yeah so like you know cities were getting bigger so you're so new health issues were arising and people were ready for like a quicker lighter option for breakfast right because it was all about efficiency it was about okay you need to be healthier even though a lot of that stuff like isn't wasn't caused by big breakfasts but (laughs) I mean you could kind of see how it would end up happening yeah so that's largely why the breakfast cereals became and the the Companies that made them, like Kellogg's and Post, became huge powerhouses because they were providing these options at the right time, and they just like exploded. And it's so cheap. Yeah, I assume. Yeah. Or did they start
1: selling it at a higher price? Do you think?
0: No, I think it was. It was like it was. And they really um, marketed it towards, like, the middle class kind of people oh, okay. of, like, it's cheap, efficient, like, Dang. quick and easy for a family. It's healthy for a family. Yeah. It's healthy for Can all this b- stuff. imagine being on the ground floor of cereal? I know, right? Crazy. <laughs> You'd have to be in that job, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that was, like, the basic history of it. But now I've got a bunch of fun facts that are, like, pretty interesting in their own right. Nice. Okay. So the rooster mascot on the Kellogg cereal boxes is used because William liked that the Welsh word for rooster is, it sounded like his last name. So the Welsh word for rooster is spelled C-E-I-L-I-O-G. So okay. like Kel- K- Kellogg or Kylog or something like Right. Thine. How do they actually pronounce it? I don't know. Hmm. But it's, uh, they say that it's, sound, it's not it, at all like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. With Welsh, yeah. but it did sound like his last name. Cause he had a, well, a friend who was Welsh right. and they pointed it out right oh. away of like, Oh, it's a like kind of said rooster or whatever. So that's where oh. that rooster mascot or the rooster, no um, like kind of logo thing came from. Um, Another fun fact is that John Kellogg, as much a, of a nut job as he was and like a terrible person, yeah. he invented a ton of other foods that okay. are pretty innovative. Uh-oh. So he's also credited as one of the first people to make peanut butter, although mm-hmm. there were a couple others that invented it around the same time, including a guy in Montreal. So pretty cool. Dr. John Skippy. Yeah, exactly. Dr. the peanut guy with the top hat. (laughs) 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 Mr. Peanut? (laughs) (laughs) That's Dr. Peanut to you. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) Peanuts can be doctors too. In
0: 1896, he made the first commercially produced alternative Mm -hmm. to meat. When he made this um, thing called Nuttos, it was made primarily from peanuts and it resembled cold roast mutton. Mmm, uh,
1: mm, tasty. What a wonderful thing
0: to emulate. Mutton. I, know. I know, right? <laughs> he didn't aim very high. Um, and then he eventually patented a vegetable substitute for meat called Protose. So it was oh. like kind of like an early, like, Okay. Meat substitute, right? He also invented soy milk and patented what? it in 1934. He Whoa. made soy yogurt, soy flour and soy bread as well. Luckily I don't eat soy stuff really yeah. anymore. But isn't that crazy stuff, at that yeah. time to be cr- to be that's nuts. creating that kind of stuff? I yeah. think it's
1: pretty impressive. Well, I guess if you're pretty desperate at the time like you will. But that's pretty amazing.
0: Soy how did but he see that soy? But see that's also why I think he wasn't all that concerned about selling one recipe for cornflakes to get his mm. brother out of his face and just end that relationship like be done yeah. with it. Yeah. Apparently like so they had a ter- they ended up like not even talking to each other and like like a terrible rift between them. Yeah. But eventually um John Kellogg I guess wrote a letter Um, to his brother, like, apologizing, trying to reconcile when he was, like, in his, like, 80s or 90s or something. Right. But apparently John Kellogg's secretary had read the letter and thought that it made him look really weak, so she didn't end up sending it to his brother. What? His brother only got it after he had died. After John Kellogg had died, he got to read the letter finally. Like she kept it, but she didn't send it to him. Oh my god! Isn't that terrible? I'm like, mind your own damn business, lady. Whoa! I know meddling much? Jeepers. Yeah, it's like it's not your business who looks weak. He should look weak, the bastard. Yeah. Oh no! Oh, terrible. Okay, another fun fact. So one of the sanitarium <laughs> another patients. Another fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> That last one was very fun. (laughs) It was hilarious. (laughs) Okay, so one of the sanitarium patients, his name was C.W. Post. What? Also ended up founding a cereal company that became became well known. (gasps) He was too poor to afford the fees to stay at the facility, the sanitarium. So in order to cover his fees, he worked in the sanitarium kitchen And he helped them make granola and was, like, there for the process of them figuring out how to make cornflakes.
1: No. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: He had adapted Kellogg's cereal recipe into his own recipe for grape nuts. Now, there's a cereal I don't understand, but whatever. Grape nuts. Well, grape nuts are just,
1: aren't they just nuts?
0: No, grape nuts is, like, that cereal. I think it's, like, it's not nuts. It's, like... It isn't? It's, like, wheat stuff. I know. I thought it was. It's like I thought it was raisins. Been, and... I don't think so. It's always been oh, a very confusing cereal so to me because it sounds oh. like it should be something different. Oh, okay. Anyway, Post ended up being a cutthroat competitor to Kellogg and even oh. bought the exclusive rights to manufacture the cereal rolling machine needed to make flakes. No. And this was equipment that Will Kellogg had originally helped to design. so post was like uh sucker i'm buying the rights to that and you have to buy your machinery from me now in order to make your (laughs) cornflakes isn't that crazy that'd be a good movie i know right
1: this whole thing would be a good movie well they'd have to like sandwich general mill mr general mills in there too oh my gosh yeah really okay this is my last
0: fun fact and then i'll be done so Kellogg adhered to the teachings of Ellen White. That's she's the one, she's the founder of the Seventh-day Adventists. And <laughs> Sylvester Graham. So Sylvester Graham was a Presbyterian preacher who advocated keeping a plain diet to prevent sexual arousal. And he was the inspiration for the creation of the Graham cracker. What? Yes, and I went down a whole freaking rabbit hole about this Sylvester Graham guy, and there were all kinds of people who followed him. Like he didn't invent the graham cracker, but the his followers were inspired to create all this stuff, and they called it, they invented the graham cracker. They so invented all this. Other that stuff.
1: episode is true. Where Homer Simpson? Remember where he like? I think he. Stop having sex or something, and then he becomes like super, like he can focus on things perfectly, (laughs) and he's like really like just super intelligent. I suppose that was that that? this was. I could have sworn, like Marge was like, I don't know, or but anyway, this is so funny that they're all like the most like repressed people in the world, and they come up with like, and they invent all this stuff, bland food, but (laughs)
0: yeah, they invent a bunch of (laughs) bland food, exactly. Sign me up. <laughs> I just thought that was so Important crazy when I saw that. I'm like, the graham cracker. Like, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. I that feel like that's crazy. a whole different thing. But, like, they're connected. It was at the same time he was preaching oh the same types gosh. of things as the Seventh Day Adventists. And he had a whole following on And then there's Quaker own. oats. I can't right now. Oh. <laughs> Literally. The most boring foods. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> And Americans rag on, like, the British for having terrible food or something like that. It's like, really? Yeah. Uh, like, you're just making, l- letting Although all Although the you. British are
1: also incre- known for being incredibly repressed. Oh. <gasps> True. Dang. Dang.
0: Okay. Crazy. But that's the origin of <laughs> Kellogg's Cornflakes, of Kellogg's no. The Company and Cornflakes, the cereal. I refuse. I
1: hated all of that.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to eat. Kellogg's even now even though William but broke Will off but Will was like, better I mean maybe not I didn't delve into like a, what his like, personal beliefs crazy. were probably well, I mean he did work have. for his brother but he hated his brother so yeah maybe, I he like yeah. I think he, he made just... and he made Bran Flakes I think it was 1915 when he made the first Bran Flakes <gasps> and then he was very much like, It's super healthy for you. Yes!
1: Yeah. I love bran flakes so much. <laughs> me too, actually. They're pretty all good. All bran.
0: <laughs> Best cereal of
1: all time. <laughs> I shouldn't admit that freely in light of this whole conversation. <laughs> I love raisin bran I don't know what though. that says about me. Uh oh. <laughs> We're <laughs> old <can't> ladies. <laughs> I only have spicy cereal. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Oh my
0: gosh. <laughs> Did you say we're ladies? <laughs> I said we're old ladies. We're 40 Our now.
1: We're just ladies. <laughs> we're ladies. <laughs> I love them. <it. laughs> we're immune to the effects of cereal. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> that's that's crazy. crazy. It's almost huh? like it's so uncomfortable. It's like cereal. And then so much drama and like this feuding and then like all these beliefs there's and everything there's so much
0: behind it like, like so dang. i
1: know <laughs> you think <laughs> it's just innocent and it's like loaded <laughs> i know right and i don't know if we've ever had like added like the topics that we've done like any like such characters right like, i know that's kind of like, why i wanted oh to do this
0: like when i very first heard it all i heard was um he created cornflakes to stop people from masturbating and I was like, what now? <laughs> and when I delved into it, I mean it's obviously more elaborate than that. That's not the only thing that he was like a proponent of, right? Like he, you know, yeah. it's the health food and the vegetarianism, like all that kind of stuff yeah. too. But it definitely was a big part of it. Dang. I mean, it was interesting actually when I was um when I was researching John Harvey Kellogg himself. A lot of his controversial stuff didn't come up, like the eugenics and whatever, oh. but I'd seen it in one little article, so I specifically searched for that stuff, mm. and then there was like all this information, like he founded <laughs> whole foundations and stuff, but I was like oh. that's weird that they're trying to kind of gloss over it a little bit in other ways. You know, like, it, it could
1: th- be, I'm not defending it, I think they <clears> shouldn't, <throat> but like I wonder if people don't actually quite understand what it even means though. Maybe. Because you're not taught that, like we we learned about it when? in university i think i don't know probably if it was in high yeah school. yeah maybe now in high school they talk about it but like it's such a and i don't think people really yeah know yeah about i it, never really honest. you know
0: what, I, what is kind of like embarrassing to admit and kind of funny but um <laughs> the word eugenics and the word euthanasia like i always kind of mix them up a little <laughs> bit and so i kind of because they were similar with the like eu at the beginning yeah that I just kind of like lumped them for a while into the same kind of category. I'm like those are two very different things. Well, well uh, yeah, actually, <laughs> there could be a bit of a connection there.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, what's yours this week? I'm so excited. Actually, that was a good note to end, like to segue, because um, I learned that a word that I've always used and understood as one thing actually has a different meaning, not completely different at all, but like, okay. I'll start by saying uh, I watched a really good documentary on Netflix called, uh, I think it's like 14 peaks. And it's about this, um, Nepalese mountain climber who tries to climb.
0: I think that's on my list to watch. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's good. Yeah. But he, um, tries to break a record of like climbing, um, 14, Uh, They're called 8,000ers when a mountain peak is higher than like 8,000 meters. Okay. So in the, that's the lingo, 8,000er. Right. Um, So he tries to do it in like a record time. Okay. Seven months to do 14 peaks. And it's a really good documentary. And he mentioned in it um, that the Sherpas that are, you know, help people on the mountains, they don't really get any credit. They're often overlooked. And people don't even know their names. So he tried really hard to like use their names anytime he would post on Instagram. He's actually, I think the one who posted that famous, there's a, it was a picture that went viral a little while ago where, um, you see a lineup of climbers up, going up to the summit of Everest. It's like packed full of people and the climbers, they're just jammed. It's a traffic jam basically. So people are trying to come down the summit Uh and other people are trying to go back up to the summit. And... Uh, yeah, so it was that moment. And I remembered being obsessed with this episode of Tintin. I loved Tintin the cartoon, <laughs> even yeah. though... I was going to look into the creator of Tintin, but I think it, there might be another eugenic situation or some kind like, of racist, horrible thing. I feel thing.
0: like everything is. Yeah. I feel like we can't yeah. look at anything because it's I all know. these, like, rich white men that were creating everything yes. at that
1: time. Yeah. And you crazy know? racist psychos. And I'm just like... Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, Tintindo. we just want more of this.
0: I like being around people like me. Let's just create
1: a world yeah. where it's just us. I know. And I didn't even really notice, like, the problematic images in actual Tintin comic books yet. Oh my and I'm gosh. like, oh, yeah. crap. I have to stop liking Tintin now I love Tintin but anyway um so I remember one episode where he goes into the mountains right and he it's like a yeti episode Mm -hmm. sorry it's a bit of a segue here but this is like my favorite favorite thing so um I'm telling you my brain was cracked wide open with this topic so you're just gonna hear me like freaking out and like fangirling and yeah so um the in the thing he's like looking or he encounters a yeti or he Tintin tin, he like sees one or something I can't remember what it is or they're on a quest to find the Yeti. But in this Fourteen Peaks documentary, the guy is up at the top, like of one of the thing uh, I guess Everest or actually I don't know where he was. Some mountain. And he mentioned um one time he I think he had it's called H A C E or Hace. And that's like a okay. hyper something like i don't even know what the technical term is it's like um basically a lack of oxygen and so you can have like a like a pulmonary one and then you can have like lung one sorry i didn't write that down but it's h-a-c-e or h-a-p-e and so basically you get like hypoxia which means you don't have enough oxygen and you're just in this like total it's dangerous as hell you're about to die right okay yeah so he's in this state he's kind of stumbling around and then he said he saw this like kind of fuzzy creature and he oh my said God. it was like, what is going on? And he realized he stumbled across another climber who also was completely out of it. So it was just another mountain climber with him. Oh. They, but, they just kind of stumbled across each other. So he's like, okay, I can help this guy get down the mountain. And so like when he kind of was like, you know, not so oh, hazy, yeah. and I'm thinking like, <laughs> and then this one famous mountain climber, he, I went down, down the rabbit hole there. he, did like this 12 year he was ridiculed and everything he's a super famous guy but he um was ridiculed for investigating the m- legend of the, the myth of the yeti right
0: oh my god! and he
1: believed he eventually concluded it was probably some kind of animal that like made people that people thought was a yeti like they had like hallucinations yeah, yeah. or something like that but like i was thinking like and it was just this offhand comment that he made that the guy looked all like fuzzy and furry i'm thinking oh like gosh. is the yeti just like people hallucinating Just people when hallucinating. they see other yeah probably yeah right yeah so i was like oh my god and then i went back to the sherpa and i'm like i need to i want to because you know my whole goal of trying to like expand my horizons and yeah learn about other cultures and everything yeah so my topic is on sherpas Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I can't believe I didn't say that until right now. Sorry. <laughs> already, I was like, hoping. Just... I was like, yes. Yeah. So it's not sure. Okay. So here's where my mind completely like, Can splintered. I very yes, quickly yes. Yes. Interject yeah. with something. Of course. So my yeah, mom yeah. went trekking
0: in Nepal back right. in 2012. So she was yeah. like 60 something. Yeah. So, it was, like, super impressive. But they had Sherpas. Like... Yeah. They had them, and they carried their luggage for... Like, they carried their bags. So, it had to be a specific size and kind of, like, specific weight or whatever. And she always talked about these guys. Like, that's what they do for a living. Like, she's Mm -hmm. like... They were, like, half dead. Like, my mom and her friends, like, half dead doing this, like, Mm -hmm. crazy hike. Like, trekking every single day. They did, like, 20 kilometers. Like, these massive stairs up and down and whatever. And she's like... These guys did all of that with luggage on their backs, and oh, like, just wait when they came down to drop them off, they just went right back up again. Mm-hmm.
1: It's crazy. Right, so she was get like, get ready in awe. to have your mind blown. <laughs> oh okay. my gosh, this is awesome. So I will when I I probably won't consult my notes too much because whatever. Um, but uh, I will when I want to talk about individual the individual Sherpa that okay that I okay so Ooh, cool biggest thing ever that like just really kind of. It kind of rocked me a little bit where i was like um how can i go through life thinking one thing and not really knowing isn't that the so truth crazy? of the matter it yeah. kills me it kills it's me. like cornflakes now we know yeah i know like we all live in our own little <laughs> worlds and blah 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 but okay so sherpa has two meanings so okay. we think when i thought of sherpa i only knew it as i thought of the the word as synonymous with porter basically a person who carries Right. Goods okay. for people or guides them through the mountains. I never thought it was I always thought it was just a job. Yeah. No, the Sherpa are a people. It's an ethnic group. What? Yes. Right? Oh, no, it isn't. Yes. What is yes, it? Yes, it is. Yes, <gasps> so Sherpa but cool. there is the Sherpa job. Okay. So not all Sherpa small k small s are capital S Sherpa. Ethnic okay. group.
0: So not, not all job Sherpas are ethnic group Sherpas. Are done by
1: Sherpa, yeah. Okay. But the best Sherpas in the world and, like, not the best, I shouldn't say that, but the most, like, experienced like right now. They're, the OG Sherpas are, are actual Sherpa, Sherpa, Sherpa culture. People. people. Yes. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's an ethnic group, yeah. Yeah.
0: No So I was going to go into the actual full-blown deep
1: origin of it, but it's pretty simple, like simple, like in the, not simplistic. I meant like simple in the sense that, um, they were, uh, they think that about like 600 years ago, they basically, um, were nomadic people that migrated from Tibet. So from the Tibetan side into Nepal, like into the, the highlands, like the highland plateaus there. Yeah. And they just basically settled, um, It's called Solukumbu or something. Um, It's like a famous, the famous area where Everest actually is. Right. Um, So let me just quickly get these notes, because I do want to like give a little bit of information here. So um, just quickly, the term Sherpa is the Tibetan word for Eastern people. Oh. Sherpa, they don't say, uh, the Sherpa, they don't say it that way. They say, I think um, it's Sharwa, like they have a different pronunciation. Okay. Um, so yeah, they pr- reside primarily in the Solukumbu, I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of this right, but whatever, <laughs> district of Nepal. Um, but there are smaller settlements in the Tibet Autonomous Region of China. So in case no one, like people don't aren't sure. Um, so Tibet isn't its own country, but it's like an autonomous region in China, right? So it's like this contentious thing, right? and Nepal is nestled <laughs> right beside it. They're like, it's right there. And Everest, that I will be kind of talking about a lot because that's where most Sherpa are based, like their villages and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, close to Everest anyway, um, is split right down the middle, the border, uh, like it's no on way. the border. Exactly. Yeah. So there's the China the border, side, the... Chinese side, oh. and then the Nepal side. No so, way. I actually yeah. did not know that. Most people climb up the Nepal side because it's right. easier to get permits and that kind of thing. Um. And that's a problem that I'll get to later. And then there's the Chinese side. And apparently, because of the whole COVID thing, China's going to like, they're thinking of or they have already put like, they're going to put it like a dividing line at the top to kind of where they're going to prohibit people from intermingling and like oh my god how they're gonna enforce that (laughs) hey they built built a wall once they can do it again (laughs) yeah so um the Sherpa are direct descendants of an ancestral population that has resided continuously on the Tibetan plateau for the past 25 to 40,000 years apparently
0: holy cow
1: I don't know how that kind of works with their migration thing from 600 years ago but (laughs) I guess the, oh no, the Tibetan plateau is probably freaking huge, right? Because it's all of Tibet. I always, I tend to confuse Nepal and Tibet a lot, which is stupid of me, but anyway. Um, Oh, right. So in central Tibet, they found stone tools at altitudes of about 4,000 to 600 meters, which is very high in case anybody doesn't know. (laughs) Um, They were dated about 30 to 40,000 years um, ago. So like... Um, there are like, obviously like really old archaeological finds in the Tibetan plateau, right? So, mm-hmm. um, these people came on over, they think it was during maybe, um, during political and religious turmoil from possibly the Mongol invasion that the, oh, some groups kind of left and were,
0: well, I so... think in that area there was, cause there was lots of stuff happening and right.
1: Yeah. I'm sure that there were people that were like,
0: hey, we were good with living in the mountains. Let's just, (laughs) like, find a safe haven here, you know, where they're not necessarily... Well, it was tied
1: into their Buddhist beliefs. They have, um, they're, like, they still follow, like, a certain, um, like, kind of original Buddhist branch, I guess you could say, um, where they believe that, like, uh, it was kind of like a land of opportunity. They were moving... Towards Nepal to kind of find a better life for themselves. So okay um, and that's kind of a um a thread that continues to this day for the people. They're still always trying to like move forward. A lot of them move moving to the states. There's a huge population in New York of Sherpa where oh, really they yeah, where they really want to like just have better lives, right? Because they live hmm. in like really poor 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 it's really isolated poor. communities and villages yeah. right
0: my mom sorry i'm gonna keep talking no, about it's her good. thing I, but I like hear about this she because she went before they had that big earthquake there like that big earthquake that just like a yes. lot of the villages oh, that she had stayed in and walked that. through were destroyed yeah and all she thought was like she would look at the pictures of the people and like these kids that live Aww. there and she's like a they might be dead. She know. They might not have a, a house anymore or Aww. whatever, right? Like it was really yeah. sad. But she said, those people, the number one thing she said about the people in Nepal and specifically up the mountain, mm-hmm. they were so happy. And these Aww. kids. Were so happy, and they'd yeah. like these kids would be walking next to them, going to school or whatever, like having to like traverse all this like crazy like mm-hmm. distance to go and do all of this stuff. And yes, yeah. huge smiles on their faces. They Aww. like they were so happy and so welcoming yeah. and so such warm people. Like,
1: yeah, she just raves about it. Like, I think it's such yes, a the beginning they all the Sherpa that they were noted as being just full of joy and like so helpful and they treat everybody as like family and it's just this like really and
0: that's exactly what she
1: said and it was like this overwhelming
0: thing for her like she really had a a strong connection to the people there specifically because they were so like that's really hard like it's hard to not have that rub off on you when you're around it I think like because we're so not like that here you know in North America
1: and it's hard for us too because we have that like privilege that when we we just assume they're all going to be miserable when you yeah know, like these poor it's people like they don't are have gonna be closed of, off and yeah yeah and just yeah. kind of like not welcoming and it's like no that's not the case well yeah. things are changing Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. okay so um uh so yeah so about 16th century let me just recap the ancestors of the sherpa migrated from tibet to the kumbu valley of nepal um or solo or whatever and yeah nepal is obviously pretty small it's 147 thousand five hundred square kilometers so i think compared to like well it's definitely smaller than our pro- like our provinces like either bc or alberta right so it's like oh, this okay. tiny little place right yeah and they're broken up into different areas and there's different ethnic groups kind of that kind of sort of favor certain areas right, right. um the Sherpa are very much like the everest people that's what they're known for they're in other pockets like i mentioned but um right so okay this is the crazy stuff (laughs) now oh i don't even know what to get to first i'm dying i love this topic so much just say all of it okay first of all i have always been anti um like extreme sport kind of mountain climbing or backcountry yeah. hiking. I think it's selfish, dangerous, expensive, and just horrible. Mm. Even so, even though I still believe that, it's really hard not to watch and be fascinated by this whole entire culture and the whole thing. Yeah. A huge misconception. This is like basically the research that blew away like all of my misconceptions. So <laughs> people make Everest seem like it sounds like it happens kind of quickly. I assume it takes just a few days to climb. Isn't it like a huge It's an insane amount of time. You have to climatize. <laughs> you have to like basically right. I think the minimum was I think two months or something. Oh my god. You're there for a long time. Like you should I have need to heard be at base that camp of for people weeks. who like
0: decide they're gonna do it, they basically have to take like yes. a year off
1: of work and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well you have to train for at least a year. Yeah. It costs an insane amount of money to do. Jeez and it's, I just think so... it's so stupid and then they die up at the
0: top it's like okay and it, anyway yeah and there's
1: really good articles about why people do it and it's okay. not for thrill seeking it's not what people think and i found that really interesting so there's so much like there's just way too much to get into but i really want to focus on the sherpa because mm-hmm. right that's the whole point but yeah um the really neat thing about them is that because their people have lived in high altitudes for so long is that they are actually literally genetically different from us lowlanders. I believe it. So the reason your mom was noticing that they could do all this stuff is because they physically actually can handle it better than we can. Because isn't it like
0: that their blood needs less oxygen or something like that? They
1: have, um, they display lower hemoglobin concentrations at high altitude um, it says high elevated hemoglobin levels resulting from hypoxia can lead to chronic mountain sickness. Um, but there's like other physical stuff. They have um, these like certain genetic markers uh, that even though they find them in a, a lot of high elevation um, people, so like in Ethiopia, I think, and then like other just Tibetan ethnic groups and stuff like that, they all share a lot of this kind of genetic... Right, like because they have yeah. to adapt to living in high yeah. altitudes, um, but they, uh, Sherpa actually have like e- even like even more unique ones yet. Whoa! Right, so because
0: is it's, that stuff that they're just like they're, they're born with it, or it's something
1: that they can adapt to over time? No, it or has combination- to be. It has to be passed down. It has to happen over generations. Oh, okay. So it's not like Whoa. I would suddenly. Although if you some spent, people, like, I think that super athlete gene, I think right. some people have that and that's one of the genes that they have but right um no it has to be like literally genetic evolution whoa right so it's not just like if I live there for 10 years I'll suddenly be right you know okay um but yeah you have to be kind of like genetically predisposed I think all the best mountain climbers in the world kind of are okay They're those rare people who can actually handle right um particularly the ones who do the big eight thousander um expeditions with uh without supplemental oxygen at the top oh which i'll get into so that's crazy man um so just to kind of backtrack so mountain climbing in general was like starting to become a thing for westerners in about like 1920s the british they were all like you know up in india and nepal and everything they're like let's go do things and then they were hired sherpa yeah (laughs) (laughs) they hired the sherpa (laughs) to be their porters and basically to do everything right and um but 1953 was the critical, the time where suddenly everything exploded for mountaineering because Sir Edmund Hillary oh, yeah. reached the top of Everest with a Sherpa named Tenzing Norgay. I'm terrible with these names, but Tenzing, some people say he might have been Indian. India's claiming him as his, as their own. Of course Tibetans are. Tibetans are, compl- are claiming him. Yeah. And I... His parents were apparently from Tibet, so I have a hard time placing him as like ethnically like Sherpa, right? But it sounds like everybody says he is okay, Sherpa, a Sherpa,
0: Sherpa. <laughs> so I was like, okay.
1: <laughs> also, just quickly, there's another title called Sirdar, which is like kind of like the head honcho of all Sherpas. So okay,
0: I think my mom said that that yeah, she had a group. She had they had like the guide, yes. And he, he was the one who managed, like, the Sherpas and managed, yes. like, and he spoke better English, like, the
1: Sherpas yeah. didn't really yeah, speak English. Yeah, they're paid the most, they're the most experienced, yeah, yeah he was like th- to earn it. He was, like, the yeah. leader of that, the Sherpas yes, kind of thing. exactly. Yeah. So he'd probably okay. be the, the Sirdar or whatever. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think that sounds familiar to me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in 1976, the Sherpa homeland and Mount Everest became protected as part of Sagarmatha National Park. Um, so once it was an isolated community, now this whole valley was just like all about mount- mountaineering and the foreigners and mountain climbing. And, and that, that was
0: 1953,
1: thing. right? Well, in that the, actually happened that more in the seventies when it exploded oh, okay. more. But, um, yes, 1953 was the first the kind first. of okay. trek, but no, I shouldn't say that. trekking is a different word altogether. Trekking is like, you can trek to base camp the climbing it's called climbing an expedition a different thing yeah yeah they call yeah. it an expedition but um with sir edmund hillary like they had people before obviously climbing the mountains like right like in the uh, 20s and that kind of thing there were like some french people i think doing stuff and then british people but like the fact that it was like the first person to summit
0: the first mm. two people to
1: summit everest yeah. that's i think when the whole world was like it was like oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah so basically they kind of became the sherpa became the kings of the mountain in the sense that um they literally did everything and they do everything and genetically they're like they can handle all this work but the amount of stuff that they have to do so in this great segment that was done by john oliver for his uh oh, last week tonight or whatever that's called watch it it's on youtube it's called um uh, just e- john oliver like everest okay and he just kind of sums up all the research i did perfectly <laughs> but he said that i'm just gonna spoil one part but um there are these things called things sorry the people the job mm. it's called an icefall doctor okay no let me fact check this is so exciting okay so with everest it takes forever to climb blah 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 right it takes Mm -hmm. tons of preparation part of the preparation is um especially now is like the sherpa will go up ahead and fix ropes and get the ladders and everything all prepared for people so the problem now is a lot of inexperienced climbers are basically going to these companies because the companies started more in the 90s of where they were starting to um Um, create expedite like what are they called like 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 travel kind of yeah like a tour thing where they're like go and they set you up with the Sherpa you would have to go there yourself you'd get your permits you'd find your own porters you'd find your own Sherpa and that kind of thing and then the companies were like well let's facilitate this let's make it happen and then that's where huge problems start because a lot of like um, not so reputable companies are taking inexperienced climbers up there was a Canadian oh, woman. She did actually shoot. manage to summit Everest, but on her descent, she died. And okay, this is where I have to just finally get into the dangers she of died Everest. Died on her way down. This is the crazy That's part. Brutal. <laughs> so everyone, I had the even the idea that like it's just kind of a slog up a mountain, maybe some technical stuff, whatever. But like that, it happened fairly quickly, and you people just kind of did it. I didn't mm-hmm. think of the actual insane dangers and even now when you hear like people are sometimes left to die up on the thing people don't realize like if you actually bother to do any research you realize like even the sherpa themselves have to sometimes leave you behind because they might die themselves it's a literal life and death situation yeah and these people like anytime you go above eight thousand meters when you start looking at what happens to the human body and then there's something called summit fever, which I'll get into in a second. But um, you literally start going into hypoxia and they say well, your brain starts swelling and there's nowhere for your brain to go.
0: Yeah. It's
1: held in by your skull, literally. So then it's going to start leaking the fluids where the spinal cord Ew. is. right? So you're what? basically, yeah, you're. Oh body basically squeezes your brain out of your thing and your brains like melting into yeah your- you can get the high altitude sickness it's like that haste or hape stuff and um you become disoriented and nauseous and you have you just don't have your wits about you you just don't yeah. have like the you know energy and you're climbing. Okay, this is the most mind blowing part. So you're getting ready at base camp. You're acclimatizing for weeks, right? Yeah. You shouldn't go like as long as ten weeks, like they used to do, because you get weaker okay. and you start losing body mass and stuff, right?
0: Oh, okay, so it's so kind it's of like five one of those. Six weeks. Like you have to find that balance of acclimatizing, yes. but
1: not too yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. So you then slowly you shouldn't do. They say to kind of like combat like um, getting really bad uh, altitude. Uh, sickness. I keep wanting to say uh, motion sickness, mm-hmm. but um, you don't go higher than like you don't do more than a thousand feet a day, roughly. They say. Okay. But anyway, so the goal is like they go to this thing, base camp. Then there's about I think there were four camps, and they basically try to get to the next camp, and then they sort of acclimatize again. And then they go to the next camp oh, okay. again. Okay. Yeah. And then they go up to the fourth camp, but apparently, once they kind of figure stuff out, they come back down to a lower camp for some reason I think to get supplies or something I can't remember what it is in preparation oh, to summit okay. I didn't know they do a back and forth thing yeah so in the John Oliver segment oh my god I'm all over the place but I'm so excited about this topic in the John Oliver segment he said that people who the clients that go up the mountain they're yep. gonna maybe backtrack like once or twice up and down the mountain but the Sherpa will do it about 40 times a day what Not only that, they're the ones who are fixing the line, the ropes, and the ladders. And what they do, there's a huge, like, there's huge like crevices or crevasses or whatever. I don't know how people pronounce it, but crevas because um, crevice right. crevice sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's these drops where a lot of the Sherpa will die, like if you know, because it's because they're hidden yeah. too, right? Like those. Oh, uh, drop, well, aren't they? those ones. Not. There's like this famous like Kamu ice fall. So it's like this major chunk that you have to kind of get over, and it's basically these giant walls of ice, and then so you can see the gaps the crevices yeah. right you can see these giant gorges and um they will they have to be the ones because the whole terrain changes because of the snowfall and the storms right yeah. so it's not gonna and the it's ice not, breaks it, yeah. off and it's deadly because it's horrible snow and ice it's stuff launches. that changes it doesn't yeah. stay it's not rock like- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they have to like strap ladders together sometimes. And they have to figure out how many ladders. And then they have to like slowly lower them to the other side. And then they're the ones who are testing to see if the ladder's going to hold. Oh my God. So they're the ones who are doing that, right? That's the Icefall <sighs> Doctor. He's like the main one. They have a small crew. Um, and you need to respect their work, right? There was actually a brawl in 2013 between climbers and Sherpa finally. Because what? the climbers decided to just go up. Past, it. like, they're like, We're not going to use the ropes, we're just going to go around you, like, chill. And the Sherpa were like, You're gonna get ice in our faces, you jerks. Can you just chill for two minutes? Like, this is life and death here. Like, we're really high up right now, there's nowhere to go. And well, isn't
0: that just like the perfect picture, though, of like, yes. how entitlement and that, yes, you know, and that's a whole oh, other rabbit hole you could go down. So I encourage gross. people to go down that
1: rabbit hole because, yeah, yeah it's intense what happens up there like to just but, not
0: even realize that it's life and death and that these people are literally risking oh, they their know. lives they know so full boat, but they don't care.
1: because the guy <sighs> said he's like oh i paid lots of money and it was a clear day and i have a right to be on this mountain just like they do and i'm like okay, okay so go then so who carried and all your packs, to your packs up for you
0: yeah exactly apparently they,
1: they didn't Dumb have lessons. anyone i think they just carried their own stuff or something but i'm like i don't care like i don't care is, i hate that kind of mentality i hate oh, that kind of oh yeah it drives me crazy and this is the other thing too is that Sherpa are religious people Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: the mountain, they believe is actually like a, like a goddess basically. So they, you have to do, I think it's called, um, I forgot the name of it, Puja or Purja or something like that, where you have to do, um uh like a ceremony basically like for blessing to be able to go up the mountain and well i would um, imagine
0: like this is the the land that they live on like this is their livelihood and yeah and what happens on the mountain it could have a direct impact like look at the earthquake avalanches i'm sure like all these things like Mm -hmm. this is where they live
1: and they have a respect for the world around them and and they are out of the uh, out of the deaths that happened so i think there were about already now 300 or more than 300 deaths on the mountain okay a third of them are were sherpa oh. so this is and it's i think it's actually considered the most dangerous or one of the most dangerous jobs in the world because
0: wow
1: right it yeah. is literally life or death so. so dangerous and they only get paid like four to five thousand per season that's it yeah and these are the top guys so the porters, the cooks, the at base camp, right? There's Because kitchen. those usually they people who do that up, right?
0: spend a ton of money. They spend they do. way
1: more than that to there go and There are do that. luxury packages that go as high as $130,000 where they yeah. will set up like little heated tents for you.
0: Oh my God. Hot
1: showers sometimes. Yeah, so they probably have like Food. 15 Sherpas, so they're getting yes, paid they do. even less. It's one oh climber usually, and they have like four or five, or like I guess three or four uh, Sherpa with them. So these people, they will go back and this, especially with like, if it's a ser- just one group, it's going to be like just a few Sherpa who are going to be carrying all the packs.
0: Yeah. Back, back and forth, forth back over and forth. these
1: icefalls. <gasps> 40 oh times a day, God. right? Yeah, sure. Once it's secure, 40. whatever. But I'm like,
0: this is way no, high but up. But that's a thousand. You said a thousand meters a day. They do
1: basically, right? No, they shouldn't do more than oh. a thousand feet a day.
0: Oh, a thousand feet. Okay. Westerners. But between, but between the camps, like. Between the camps,
1: it starts, I think, at six, I think, I think it's like 6,000 something feet. Okay. Uh, And then Everest is actually 8,000. Yeah. Base camp is 6,500 feet. I mean, meters, meters, sorry, high. And base camp and summit is uh, like 8,000 something. Okay meters high. Sorry, I meant meters with that so one. So, regardless,
0: yeah. like, that's still, like, going 40 times. Like, they're still climbing a mountain. That's uphill and downhill. Yes. Yeah.
1: Like, and, okay, oh so this God. is the other crazy thing. I just never knew what it entails, again. So, I told you, like, you know, we're going up and down the mountain, acclimatizing, mm-hmm. right? Then when you... Uh, the climbing season itself, like the reason there's like so many um, pictures now of Everest of like it being clogged and lineups basically going up to the summit. Like people are just yeah. back to back. There's no, it's not this solo no. adventure, this beautiful majestic thing anymore. It's just you on a rope with yep. just all in a lineup going up gross. this mountain. Yep. It is gross. Um, is the window, the climbing window is like 10 days in May or something like that. That's it. Yeah. Some people have said it made it sound like a little bit longer, and you can climb at other times. But even the only so, people out of who successfully year... climbed in the winter without like oxygen, for example, I think, I think was a Sherpa. There was only like okay. one person or something, and it was like, um, the Sherpa break all kinds of records left and right. They never As really they took credit should. for it before. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And now they're finally like, uh, we broke some records, but like, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of them are making a name for themselves. So I'll get to those guys Good. in a second, but like, um, yeah, so they have to, like, there's a small window, and then even then, that window could be as small as two or three days because of weather. If yeah. it's bad weather, there's no way. And people, you have to listen to your Sherpa. If they're like, you're too slow, you're not going to make it, you have right. to go back. If they're like, this weather sucks, go back, you have to go back. And the problem is, there's something that they term summit fever. When you get past, when you're going from base camp four up to the summit, you paid so much and you've been there for so long acclimatizing that you just are like, no, I can make it. I'm going to get um, to the summit. I need yeah. to do this. I'm so close. And that's where all the real shit happens. Like there's a famous story of a climber. Okay. So one climber, unfortunately he died and um, you actually pass his bo- passed his his body when you were climbing up the summit. Right. Uh, he was called Green Boots. People are not quite sure who it was. I think, I think was I've him.
0: heard of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. an Indian climber. And he was moved, uh, I think he was moved eventually. Okay. Uh, finally, just a couple years ago. Um, But, which, uh, like, his family was glad of because they hated that his body was always... That would be pretty Just harsh. there and yeah. people taking pictures. And it's an eerie photo. I saw it. I saw all the photos and it's just, it's very eerie. But the, you basically just kind of, like, get so exhausted and you just you just die you just you can't live you can't survive up and on that elevation for like
0: no there's a reason nobody lives up there so (laughs) like
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that that was your thing which is uh quickly but yeah so the this one climber he went and he was in that same alcove and sitting and shivering and people were walking past and there's huge controversy because they walked past him even though he was struggling yeah but the climbers were like we didn't know he was struggling he kind of wasn't really we thought he was just resting and then other people were like i can't do anything about it i exactly trying to survive and these trying to carry somebody down even the sherpa struggle so everyone's like oh why don't we get the bodies down or why don't you help people and they're like your brain doesn't work the same way when you're up at that elevation no um that yes, maybe there is that moral thing of like, okay, really don't get it. Let summit fever get a hold of you. Just try to help a person as much as you can, because that is possible. The guy in Fourteen Peaks, he did stop his climb, one of his climbs, to help a guy back down to okay. base camp. Yeah, and he's but I think no it's just like, kind of but thing. if you
0: are somebody who's paid one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Hmm. And you're like, no, this is my quest. This is my thing. I'm doing. Yeah. You're not going to stop and help some other schmuck like who's struggling. But also, you how how would do get you mad if them? nobody
1: helps you. Yeah. yeah and they don't a lot of the people who die there or go up there they are like they know full well that they're not going to be helped or they shouldn't be helped because yeah. it's dangerous you could well you die. shouldn't be
0: there in the first place like i'm sorry <laughs> yeah. i
1: totally
0: i do not yeah. agree with any of it none of it i know and the i tribe try to people find like, are doing doing beauty in it or luxury like, things kind of like yeah, no. Even I like the, I so disagree with that. I'm like yeah.
1: so you can that Oh the mountain is a dump you now. You should see it. Trash everywhere. There's garbage everywhere, feces. right? Human feet waste is everywhere. It's like a huge problem. Well yeah,
0: because there are not bodies bathrooms everywhere. Up there.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, no. And now there's cleanup crews and so sherpa people and they're just all like, Can we just and other climbers, they're Westerners even, they're trying to be like can we just clean up here? Let's be more yeah. respectful. And let's the problem just, is like, Nepal they're um actually they give a lot of permits and Mm. they they don't even they asked this government official in an interview they're like how many people do you give permits to that kind of like you don't really think actually have the health and the ability yeah he said 50 percent. yeah so he and they make i think two million or something a year per season or something like that and back to the sherpa here because that's who i really should be focusing on here i just get so i don't i didn't know anything about i get so imagining. enraged about stuff like that i know but so back to the poor sherpa they um they hardly get any of the money they unless you're like really which is crazy because the they're
0: doing like all and of the this work. is
1: what a lot of westerners say they're like oh but the sherpa are the rich people of nepal why I'm like
0: why would they say that
1: because they oh, are compared the to everybody ones else compared to everybody else in Nepal. Well, that doesn't make it better. <laughs> Western mountain guides, who they do exist, can make or usually make 50,000 a season. So,
0: see, that is something that I've always had a problem with where it's like, oh yeah, would, like I'll give them this amount and it's a lot for them. Like compared to what everybody else gets. And it's like, why don't you just pay them what you would pay anybody else? And so what if it's way more than they would ever get? And I get the whole thing of like, I guess there's a bit of a thing of, well then you set the expectation higher that they're all going to make that much. And it's like, well, then why is that the worst thing? But how many are there that are
1: able to work their way up to get those coveted positions of Sirdar or like head Sherpa or whatever, because they have to work in the lowly base camp positions as cook, dishwasher, porter, this grueling, horrible work. And only a few, like, it's not like, okay, so I think they allowed like 381 permits one year to, you know, climb. Yeah. They don't all summit. It's like no. the only the most experienced one gets to summit. And he's mm-hmm. the only one that gets that much money. So, yeah. you know, I think 4,000 people... And he could people... potentially die. How many times? How many times yes. does he pass that crevice that yeah. he could
0: fall down? And when right? they do
1: die, I think when that horrible, devastating um, avalanche sure in 2014... they don't insurance. They do actually now, I think. Oh, do they? Good. But it's really, you don't get that much. I think right. they get the, in, the amount of one season. <sighs> and they're widowed... Like the widows and the children, because almost all of them have families. Yeah, of course. They um, just have that one season, basically, to kind of cover their butts, and it's Jeez. like okay, and crazy. it's it's just crazy nightmare. to me,
0: like seeing how much money people who do that, and it is such a luxury. It is. Like, it is so. It is not anything like you are going so far out of your way, which means you yeah. have so much, like extra income that you can throw yeah. towards it yeah and these people are risking their lives for you to risk your life to have yes. to do what like yeah to yeah. get a selfie at the top ego of the mountain. or something like yeah. I don't
1: like that kind of stuff is so crazy and to there me. are a lot of people that are boastful and they're very there's a few like more like um reputable mount, mountaineers who are like they give credit where credit is due mm-hmm. and um they I think it was Messner, He had the record, I think, for climbing all 14 peaks, but he did it longer than the guy who just recently, on the Netflix special, who wanted to okay. do it in seven months, and he said, like, when I ask people why they climb, oh, and they if they ever say, oh, it's for fun, then mm-hmm. I know that's rubbish. He's like, climbing isn't fun. No. It's grueling. It is, like, the most, like, you know, like, stressful thing you can do to the human body and the mind, yep. right? And a lot of them do it. They think like when they research, they're like, they think a lot of climbers do it because um, it's almost like a reverse. Like, you know, if you're afraid of something, most people just kind of avoid their, they don't want to face their fears head on. But they actually think it's a kind of reverse, almost compulsion where they have to face that fear head on. So they can't, or it it could be a control thing as well. That's another theory Mm -hmm. that they have so little control in their lives that that's the one place where they go to the most extreme. Yeah like it's literally about life and death and it's the one place where they have to like they have full control because they have to have full control or they're gonna die right it's this kind of like so there's a lot of cool psychology now kind of like where they or scientists that are looking into the psychology of why people are doing it it's not thrill-seeking right that kind of thing nevertheless there are a lot of people who have the egos and who just do it to boast yeah and they don't give credit to any of the sherpa
0: well and I think a lot of those are the ones that aren't actually able to do it like yeah necessarily right yeah I don't know
1: even the most skilled people like the huge devastating thing there were like books and movies made about it like Everest literally called that but um 1996 there was a huge storm and eight people died and a lot of them were the best of the best Mm. and they died right and Mm -hmm. there was just this devastating scramble because they were like How do we... They lost their way. Like, these are freaking mountains. Yeah. Like, you don't just walk up a trail. It's like, you know, and they get lost and they try to help each other and some people don't try to help each other. Oh, my God. Let me tell you this one quick story before (laughs) I go to the Sherpas. Sorry, really quick. (laughs) This one guy, um, Beck Weathers, he was in that um, 1996 storm. He struggled. He was, like, falling down, I think. And I think they just yeah they left him basically for dead because they just couldn't help him yeah forgive me if I'm getting the story wrong anybody that knows it really really well but um he from what I understood he ended up getting either helped down or to this tent eventually so I don't know if people went back up to get him or what happened or if he stumbled down but they basically got him into this tent okay and this head guy they were all struggling they were all like half dead and they were like good god we need to get the hell out of here and get some help yeah and um they found his um with like the one guy he looked in and he saw this body was like under this sleeping bag and he's oh like my gosh. I, he's like i'd seen enough dead bodies on these mountain climbs that i just was like i don't want to see another one so he yeah. left but Beckweathers was still alive oh no and they all started going down the mountain. Um. And Weathers woke up and he's like, it was, there was nobody around. He's like, what the heck? Where is everybody? Like, help. Like, I need help, right? And this (gasps) was, oh, they did help him down after the first collapse because um, he spent a night. Yeah, that's what happened. So he was, he like collapsed. He was, they left him there. He had to sleep in like a little kind of like dugout kind of thing or whatever. So he his hands were, his hand was completely frozen and his arm. Oh my gosh. And his nose. So when they got him the next morning, they were like, oh crap, he's still alive. Let's go get him. And the one lady, I think she said like, you could tap on his hand and sound like porcelain. It was like, just completely. So he lost a hand and part of his forearm and his nose and everything like from frostbite who's still alive right so they put him in the tent the guy's like oh let's go let's go so they're all going down this thing and this weathers guy he manages to like basically come back from the dead a second time and he's like screaming down the mountain and the last the one climber heard him and they were like he's alive and so they all got him back down and i'm like what like so just crazy crazy stories and so when i hear stuff like that i'm kind of like it's hard because like those climbers, they really did have respect for the mountain and for the the tradition of it. And they really, there was something about it. But then it's interesting because he apparently, like, you know, I don't know if he regretted doing the climbing thing, but he had trouble with his family and he wanted to reconcile with them afterwards. Like, he wrote a whole book. I have that on hold in the library. <laughs> but, like, But, I mean, just... I think
0: it's that hard thing of, know. like, you've intentionally put yourself in that situation. Mm. Yeah. You know, like... Knowing that you probably will die, or
1: but like, don't all of us kind of do a version of that in a way? I guess so, not all of us, but a lot of us. Yeah, drink and you drive home after you have a, like a couple of drinks. Yeah, you're like whatever. I mean, you we don't think went to Mexico it. during a pandemic, so
0: yeah. I, I, I just, I just think it's more <sighs> for
1: me like the Sherpa thing where they're just basically screwed over. So okay, yeah. because I've been going on and on about this and I could talk about it for six years, you guys. I'm obsessed with this topic. (laughs) It's fascinating. I can't. It is. It's so cool. I'm going to just highlight some actual Sherpa because they deserve it. Yes. Tenzing Norgay was the first known um, man, along with Sir Edmund Hillary, to reach the summit of Everest in 1953. So cool. So he's like the most famous. Everybody talks about him. And I think his son and maybe grandson possibly uh, climb oh cool to this day so yeah one was in the i think his son was part of like a documentary and stuff like that so which kind of raised awareness for side note the documentaries and a lot of the books and everything about a lot of these disasters completely ignore
0: the the sherpa Sherpa because they're
1: just tools it's horrible like that's enraging it's terrible it's really disgusting um okay Ang Tharki, he was born to a poor family in the Solukhumbu district, which is close to Everest, as I mentioned. Um, he hoped to make a living as a mountaineering porter, so um, he got into that after he ran off to Darjeeling, India, which is like really close there to mm-hmm. the Everest kind of thing. He did a climbing course abroad, and then in 1954 he created his own trekking business. Um, he was the first mountaineering Sherpa to write a book, Memoirs d'un Sherpa, which was in French. I don't know if he wrote it in French or what. A lot of them are multilingual and it's amazing. Like they know a lot of languages. Amazing. He did some famous climbs. Um, he was part of the first 8,000er to ever be climbed, the Annapurna mountain with the French team. Um... That's
0: where my mom was. She went to the, I think the Annapurna, oh, nice. they trekked to the Annapurna base camp, I think. Why? Wow. But like she didn't go up the, but she was on that side, not on the Everest. Dang. Yeah. I
1: love that. Yeah. Um, he said that the French treated him as a friend and was oh. invited to be part of the summit team. But he said his feet were freezing and he just let them go. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you idiots um, can keep going. I'm listen Oh, this is the best part why they're the most underappreciated humans in the world the two french guys who did summit got frostbite frostbite and had to be carried down by oh. Tharke. oh my god people loved him they're like jeez, oh, like i can't with this they're just literally carrying the people down i'm like oh it is okay so um So, Ang Dorje Sherpa, they, oh, side note, they have all very similar names because it's a custom for Sherpa to name their kids after days of the week. And they also get virtue Mm -hmm. names like Beautiful or Steadiness and, you know, like those kinds of, like, the names that mean something. Yeah, so a lot of times the Sherpa, they're like, even in the articles, they're like... I think this was the same guy, he had the same name, <laughs> but the dates don't quite add up and the stories aren't quite the same, so everyone's kind of like, who are you? A day of the <laughs> week, kind of I love that. Oh, it's so cute. But um, he was actually part of the Ang Dorge, uh, I'm probably saying his name wrong, part of the famous disaster blizzard in 1996. Um, there's so much debate and controversy around that entire expedition, like the morality of climbing and everything. Um, he survived that, though, and he's climbed Everest 20 times as of 2020. His father was a climber Amazing. with British expeditions. Um, he wanted to climb as a kid, and he became a porter at the age of 12. And I'm thinking Holy the work ethic in these crap. kids. Like, yes, they had nothing else. A lot of times their family, the father dies or whatever. And they're just yak farmers most of the time. But I'm like, you're working as a porter at 12? Jeez, yeah, babies. when I was, I was 12. picking my I... nose at 12. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, super famous one, Angrita Sherpa, a.k.a. Snow Leopard. Ooh! He was born 1940, died in 2020 at the age of 72. He was born in a city, I don't know how to say it, Fame? T-H-A-M-E? Might be Tame or something like that? I don't know. Uh, Near Everest, his family reared yaks. He helped with the yaks and worked as a porter on trading expeditions across the Himalayas to Tibet. He became a mountaineering porter at 15. Jeez. Um, he didn't do any formal mountaineering training though. He no, of climbed not. Everest 10 times without supplemental oxygen Whoa. between 1983 and 1996. <gasps> he still holds the record for most summits without supplemental oxygen. He did 18 8,000ers, they think, anyway, and all without supplemental oxygen. Holy crap. And Christ. he was the first and only person ever to climb i think uh, unless somebody recently broke the thing but um to climb everest without supplemental oxygen in the winter which is like (laughs) crazy because you don't climb in the winter Um, and he's probably
0: like what's the big deal So like everybody else like i don't get what's so difficult like a lot of sherpa
1: like the actual people they because they revere the mountains right they they Mm -hmm. think that you should stay the hell off the mountains because the gods are going to be ticked off like don't disrespect them right But these ones, you know, there's such good money in it. They're like, well, and a lot of them just keep doing it because they, they don't listen to their families pleading for them to stop. They're like, this guy, however, he did. He actually, after that 96 disaster, he stopped. Okay. And he, he was just devastated by the loss of his friends and he had, um, he fell ill with some kind of liver condition and he retired and that kind of thing. So, um he had a super dignified funeral. People really paid their respects at the time. Oh. So I feel like in the community, there's a good pocket of people that are like, and the Nepal government will come out of the woodwork suddenly, even though they don't give a crap about them normally, like financially, yeah. they'll be like, okay, let's do a nice funeral, get some statues okay. going, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a couple more. Um, Appa Sherpa, um, born in 1960, he did 21 Ascents of Everest, Holy so, what God. that means when they have those numbers is they actually get to the summit, which is incredibly hard, right? That's so crazy. That's, yeah. But other than, but actual, like around the camps, they've probably done it like hundreds of times. Oh, yeah. I would say like thousands um, or millions of times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was nicknamed, Super, he is nicknamed Super Sherpa. <laughs> he, uh, until 2017, along with Purba Tashi, another Sherpa, held the record for reaching the summit of Mount Everest more times than any other person. But that oh record was broken God. by Kami Rita. Ooh. So quickly, Apa Sherpa was also born in that Tame or small village. Okay. Um, his father died, he had to take over stuff, um, and he just got into climbing and so on. Um, sorry, I'm trying to speed through because I'm running out of time here, unfortunately. But um, everyone, just look up all the Sherpa. They're amazing. They have such great stories. It's so cool. I'm, like, so um, interested in them. I know. Um, Babuchiri, he spent a record 20 hour, 21 hours on the summit of Everest without supplemental oxygen and without sleeping. Holy cow. He made the fastest ascent. I don't know if it's been broken since then, but... Um, i think it has though but he did it in 16 hours and 56 minutes what Holy oh yeah they God. fly up and down those mountains like you wouldn't believe Jeez. they're like see ya <laughs> and they're ready with tea and they're ready to carry your dead body down the mountain yeah like real. <laughs> even Holy with like cow. the genetic and stuff it doesn't matter these people are freaking saints it's on the mountains still, yeah like it's still a and freaking mountain Yeah, so Kami Rita, super famous, he is known as doing the most ascents to the summit of Mount Everest. He scaled the mountain for the 25th time this May, or May 2021. Holy cow. So his goal was to scale it 25 times. He said he wanted to do it not just for myself, but for my family, the Sherpa people and for my country, Nepal. Um, His father was one of the first professional Sherpa guides after Everest was opened to foreign mountaineers in 1950. Wow. Um, his brother, also a guide, has scaled Everest 17 times. So it is oh, quite God. a family thing. They all know each other. They're all good friends. They it's have uncles and brothers. And yeah. They all die in, in avalanches and they're like, <laughs> and then they have to walk past these. Past these where their families yeah. have died. Wow. Yeah. Interesting though that he
0: had his own goal that he, his goal was to do it 25 yeah. times. Like, I think that's kind of. yeah. And like that kind of goal I'm kind of okay with where I'm like okay yeah because before was
1: more of a livelihood thing and now I'm sure yeah they have like the glory things too and there's criticism a lot of like the like some of the those idiot guys who were part of the brawl I'm not really on their side Mm -hmm. even though I don't know what the truth was but um they were just kind of saying like oh yeah well the Sherpa they just see that it's like money-making thing and they want in they want to like basically push all of us out now and I'm like
0: rightfully so <laughs> yeah you should be pushed right down that freaking mountain I know, like
1: it's like, their freaking mountain get the hell off first of all second of all see that's
0: the whole thing of like this competitive nature and like the way that we're raised and this capitalist idea yes that money is everything yeah. and you have to every person is capable
1: of becoming yeah. rich which means everybody sure your competition. maybe Sherpa now are like oh I could so have that fine. money. They should I could be able to make money yes. from
0: it. Because, like, yeah. if we have football players here that are making yes. millions of dollars and people are... Yeah. And I'm like, to play a game yeah. and... And when I say, like, I think it's ridiculous that professional sports people make as much money as they do. It's insane. And people always make the argument of, yeah, but they take so much risk. They can get so injured. Like,
1: yeah, playing
0: a freaking game that they love. Like, give me a
1: break. I'm sorry. And I feel like mountaineering is a vanity sport as well. Where it's kind of like, you know. Yeah, yeah, but if you're reliant
0: on people because they can, you can't do it yourself and you are yes. reliant on somebody yeah. else carrying your bag mm-hmm. up for you or setting up a heater in your freaking like luxurious yep. tent for you and carrying your body down and making sure yeah. that the the ropes and whatever are there, like you're yeah. dependent on somebody else to do it. That person who is yeah. risking their lives should at least be making a ton of money. I think doing there's it.
1: literally just a handful of people who have summited these mountains like Westerners completely, completely. on their own. Yeah, Like literally just like a couple, you know, like famous names or whatever. That's it. And then this one Sherpa, famous Sherpa, he was interviewed and he's, the guy was like, how many people would be able to summit without Sherpa help? And he's like, none.
0: Because even the (laughs) stuff, even if they don't have a Sherpa with them, they're using the ropes and the ladders and the whatever's in place already that was put in place by Sherpas at some point and repaired and maintained by them. Yeah. Yeah. So... Even if you don't have a Sherpa carrying your bag for you, you still are using the infrastructure that was set up by them.
1: Exactly. Right? Yeah. And then the lodges and everything down in the the actual village. When my mom was there. It's a whole industry there. Oh, for sure. She
0: said they stopped at these places and they would feed them. And she said the food was so good. Yeah. And it was, they would give you this massive plate of food. like Yeah and it was healthy it was so tasty and then you would yeah. stay there like it was like a, a guest house too right yeah so yeah. you'd spend the night there you'd eat and like yeah that's the
1: whole and... like money making yeah. that's the industry yeah. that's the main issue yeah. they treat people like you know like yeah. just yeah i uh yeah i'm just kind of like what is going on here um oh sorry laka gelu he was born in 67 apparently he has the fastest climb from Mount Everest. I don't know why people claim it for different people. That's strange. but Maybe um, it was at the time that it was the fastest. Yeah, right? probably. Yeah. Ten hours. Ten hours fifty six minutes forty six seconds. Ten um, hours. Yeah, yeah. That's um, nuts. Okay, this one guy. Oh, was that him? Oh, yeah. It said his speed climb of Everest happened May twenty fifth two thousand three at five p.m. He. Uh, at five p.m. has started for the summit and reached it at um, three fifty-six a.m. on May twenty-sixth. So usually they leave at night to um, get the, the easier part of the climb over with, okay. so that the dangerous part, very close to the summit, they can have daylight, like daylight sunrise for, for it. it. Okay. Yeah, and then that makes sense. they shouldn't stay on top of the mountain longer than like they say fifteen minutes. Okay. So it's a very quick kind of glorious moment, and then you get back down. And if you're up there too long, and you are nowadays, there's like so many people clogging the thing that it, they dangerously are gridlocked and then so the people who are half dead at the top are like they we can take get it down. down. Yeah. Jeez. And a lot of inexperienced climbers are holding them up. There's Crazy. actually famous videos now, like where people are swearing at the less experienced. They're like, this is ridiculous. They shouldn't because they should it not shouldn't be here.
0: Be, that's the thing. Okay, so when I met Greg, like we were I was going to do this hike called Angel's Landing in yeah. Zion National Park down in the yeah. States. And it's a very dangerous hike Like you yeah. The end part of it is very dangerous Like it's all with chains You're basically on this like very thin Ooh. thing There's a, a section with no chains And it's got Ooh. kind of like sand over top of rock With a week before I was there A 12 year old girl fell to her death from it oh my She had gone up with her family But she was very nervous Because you're high up And there's no railings oh There's no nothing well, yeah. You could walk off the edge if you wanted to Yeah and her family... So she said she was going to go back and wait at the little area where Greg and yeah. I ended up meeting. Yeah. Um, and her fa- when her family came down, she wasn't there. And oh, nobody no. had seen her come back down. And they oh, found her at no. the bottom of the thing. Because that's Ugh. what freaking happens. Like, people think it's not real. Like, everybody's doing it, so it must be easy. And I remember, yeah. like, I met a girl when I was there that she was a more experienced hiker than I was and we were going to go together and I just that morning felt I was like I don't want to go with somebody because I don't know that I'm skilled enough to actually do it Yeah. and I want to have the freedom to bail on it if I want to like I don't want to I don't want to push myself farther for somebody else's benefit when I know that it's a very dangerous thing. Like, it should be taken seriously. And sure enough, I went and, like, I'd already been hiking all day. Yeah. And I went to the top where, you know, it's like the top of a mountain and then you go up even higher. So I started doing the up higher, the angels landing part of it. And I was, like, Mm. had the chains. And going up wasn't too bad. But then I had to wait for a guy to come down. And as I was waiting, I looked down behind me. Yeah. And it was so steep, and there was nothing to hold on to, not even a tree. If I were to fall, I didn't know what I would have grabbed onto. Like the chain, fine, but I was already feeling a little like shaky and whatever. And I was like, you know what? I I, I won't be able to come down, even if I can go up. And I don't trust my legs right now. They were shaking already. You know, I'm like, I just don't trust myself. And yeah, I know I've traveled here to like, you know, it wasn't my sole goal to do that, but I was wanting to challenge myself a little bit. And I was like, you know what? At some point you just have to like, take the safe road and that's okay just because everybody else is doing it and now all I see on like social media is that Angel's Landing hike is so packed there are people constantly lined up on it and like the National Park Service was saying like we need to figure out a way to reduce the amount of people because it's so dangerous now that there are so many people all it takes oh, yeah. is you nudge somebody accidentally as you're yes. passing them and they will fall to their death like yeah
1: there was an account like a people? video <laughs> of this guy like you see his equipment falling down and just a moment before like he had fallen down Everest and yeah. then it's like and the climbers are right there just they saw it, it yeah and then they walk past these literal because these bodies are pretty well preserved yeah so you walk past these actual dead bodies and you're just like Good God, like, how do you, and some climbers, they are like, no, I had to, I turned around and I went home and I'm like, to hell with this. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, because and...
0: sometimes it's not worth it, <laughs> like, unless it is yeah. for you and then, I and mean, all is, the power fine, to you, but don't endanger but other people. be
1: respectful and exactly. take your trash and don't expect, and some people are like, oh, why can't you just get a helicopter up there? And they're like, you do realize helicopters can't go up there, like, after a certain <sighs> point. You can basically get one, I think, at base camp, up to base camp two, possibly, and even then it's daring as hell for It'd helicopters. It'd be like, but if you but can't, can't go hike, there, if you can't hike the lower part, how do
0: you think you're going to be able to summit? <laughs> exactly. So like, you should have to do it all from scratch. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. So, I mean. Oh my goodness. I don't think I gave enough credit to the Sherpa. I hope I kind of just, I want to convey the, that I'm in awe of them and I want them to get all the credit, all the yes. money. I want them to run the mountain. I want them to do whatever they want with it. I want them to be able to be in charge, hey? I do. Because I'm like, they actually have that respect for the mountain. They're the ones that are there day in and day out. the new generation doesn't, I'm like, I still don't care. I still think they should have control of the mountain. It's like. Well, they're the ones that live on it. Like their families live in the villages on the mountains. Oh, this is a really great thing too. Almost all of the ones that have some fame and some money now from being like taught you know the best in the world um I don't think I saw a single one that didn't give back to Nepal they have foundations they build schools in their villages they give back like there's no tomorrow and I'm like to their own like the poor people and I'm like
0: there you go because there too it doesn't because that money does go a lot
1: farther because it is a poor
0: country it's the same thing like
1: kids to Abroad to like other schools and to actual schools where they hate their, a lot of them now. They're like, I don't want my kids doing this job because this was yeah. the only option I had. I want them to have a better life. And I'm yep. like, yeah, yeah crazy
0: i love that they're like a culture that's like that right? blew my mind That's it's know. not just a job that it's yeah. an actual culture like you could be I a know. sherpa sherpa yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> i love it oh my gosh that was so uh, fascinating oh this was kind of a cute fact that like sherpa now the top ones they're like giving the jobs to non-sherpa ethnicities like the oh crappy jobs <laughs>
0: That's like, awesome. Because as all those be. other
1: cultures from the, like the mountain people, they're like, hey, we have we can handle high-altitude stuff, too. So let's get in on this action, yeah. right? So they're coming along, and all the strippers are like, no, you're no. going to do the crappy jobs. I'm like, oh. <laughs> That's awesome, though.
0: But I mean, uh, hey, they're genetically they're disposed. They're genetically better than to do it. So it's fine. Well...
1: Yeah, any, any altitude person has, <laughs> and we've brought it full circle. <laughs> so for my fortieth birthday this year, for this year, I'm gonna go climb Mount Everest. Oh my god! Knowing full well, no, just so I can say hi to all the Sherpa and meet all the cool famous ones and be like, wow, I know you. You're I won't amazing. climb. I'll just sit there in like the thing and like chat with them. I kind of secretly have always wanted to know what it's like to push myself completely physically. I don't ever do it. I couldn't, I wouldn't want just jog around the you block. You know, what's, it, what's <laughs> hilarious about you saying that is that that's exactly
0: what I said I wanted to do. I actually was going to do a trip down to Patagonia and push myself to do like a trekking trip down there. Like right. a multi-day hike or whatever. Yeah, because yeah. I talked to my mom about that, her trip to Nepal where, yeah. Like, I don't know if physically I would even be able to do that. And she did that when she was like 30, you know, years older than me. Like, and she did it and yeah, yeah it was challenging, but she like completed the whole thing. It was so impressive. Oh. I know. And I was like, I want to know what it's like to push myself day in, day out and just like push myself to the max yeah. kind of thing.
1: So I was like, I want to do something like that, but maybe not Nepal, but like something similar. Yeah. But then but, I think of like the bathroom thing and then like. Like, I read the thing of <laughs> how in Everest they used to rely on, like, snow for their water because they're not going to lug water up the mountain. Yeah. But now with all, like, the feces, human waste, and everything, Ooh. it there's bacteria yeah. in it. So they're like, uh... And I'm like, <laughs> but uh, washroom stuff was always the biggest anxiety thing for me. I'm like, yeah. I don't want diarrhea on a mountain trek. <laughs> like but it everybody happens. else has it all the cool kids are doing it <laughs> doesn't mean i want my butt on fire well maybe it'll motivate me <laughs> it's exactly like... it's the fastest trek up have oh, ever super quick though <laughs> digestion stops above at that like at the above eight thousand meters oh my like god, your what? body yeah it's completely Just stops like digesting because your intestines get hypoxia thing or whatever oh my god and so it can't actually well there
0: you go problem solved Get up to right. 8,000 oh, meters God. and you'll you be guys, fine. You
1: guys, <laughs> I strongly encourage you. Look up the cool genetic things, because there's tons of different things um, about the Sherpa, like the biology of, like, why physiology, why they're able to, like, do so well in high altitudes. Yep. Check out the horror stories of, like, the survival things, because they're fascinating and morbid, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, check out all about, like, the foundations and the actual Sherpa themselves, and then get into the whole like political ethical thing debates that are happening about like be, like western sherpa relations on the mountain and like oh my there's gosh. so much there and it's amazing i'm
0: obsessed and love it yay i'm obsessed okay well you're going to go to everest i'm going to go eat some cornflakes <laughs> <laughs> and
1: uh, yeah we'll be even what stevens. if i eat cornflakes on
0: everest oh, hmm. ooh doubling down i like it Yeah! <laughs> Awesome! All right, you guys, that was great. I love it. I feel like I learned a lot this episode. Oh, I I know I'm dying. I already had like a really nice idea of them because of the way my mom has talked about them. But now that I know that it's like not just a job but a culture, and like I don't know, I'm just I love it.
1: Me too. Yay! And I hate that I hate stupid Doctor John Kellogg, but that's okay. I'll live. (laughs) That's okay. His brother's (laughs) better, I
0: guess. I don't know.
1: They're all terrible.
0: <laughs> I love knowledge. Yay. Geek. Okay, guys, follow us on Instagram. We are at Um, We always have some pretty fun, clever stuff on there. So you should definitely give us a follow and comment. And let us know. Um, it would be fun if you guys, if people had an idea, because anytime I talk to people about the podcast, Everybody wants to be like, oh, that would be cool to know the beginning of it. So <laughs> send us messages, send us a DM, send, leave a comment, let us know what yeah. you want us to cover. That could be fun. Uh, we might not do it, but whatever. You can always try. <laughs> and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>